Welcome to Pleasure Principles, a sex therapy podcast designed to educate, advocate, and instigate conversations. Pleasure Principles is brought to you by Sky Hill Therapy in Edina, Minnesota. Sky Hill is a sex therapy clinic that helps people in the Twin Cities, uh, individuals, couples, families, and just generally is really into this idea of let's just meet people where they are and let's talk about these things. Uh, that's not as nice as the way Jenny says it, but we're going to keep it in She's anyway. Not here, She's though. not here. Hey, I'm Kelvin and I'm rambling and I'm joined <laughs> today by Carice. Hi, Hi I'm Carice. And I'm not yet rambling, but I might be soon. (laughs) Soon enough. (laughs) I've had lots of coffee and not enough food, so we're talking about (laughs) porn today. That's a great time to talk about porn. I love it. Yes. Yeah. So you may notice, as we just mentioned, and you are not hearing the voice of Jenny. Jenny is not with us because Jenny had to take care of some business. Like she does. Mm-hmm. So it's the two of us, which I'm super excited about. Me too. We're taking our break room conversations and putting <laughs> <laughs> putting microphones in front of our faces. Oh my goodness. So hold on tight, y'all. Dear listeners, <laughs> you need like I wish you had actual recordings of the conversations we had or we have in the break room. I mean, the one we had before our podcast actually was who's caffeinated water. Somebody has caffeinated water. What a time to be alive. I immediately assumed it was Calvin's because he always has these like really like energy full packages of goo and things. So I thought they were his. I had zero packages of goo. (laughs) (laughs) You had cake bites that were lying about being cake. Those... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, mainly they just make you farty. Yes. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we had, yeah, caffeinated water. And, you know, we've also talked about how I am, have borrowed Calvin's vulva pillow puppet and have still haven't borrowed. gotten it back to him yet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You know, sex therapy thing. So now we're going to tackle this, you know, really complex subject of pornography. Yes. From our silly selves, which yes. would be great. In like all seriousness, this is a, something that comes up quite a bit all the time. in our practice, right? Yep. I think that a lot of times people will come to us and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I are, if this isn't for you, but for me, I get a lot of people that come in and say something along the lines of, I think I'm a sex addict. I think I'm a porn addict. Yes. Or partners that say, I think my partner is a sex addict or a porn addict. I get a lot of more of those Mm -hmm. than I do people kind of self-identifying as a porn addict. Good clarification, because I get that too, but I get the, 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 the partner that's being identified and they'll say, oh, you know, my partner is saying that right. this, right? Which is, I think, so interesting that we've created this narrative that there's this addiction model for pornography, yes. right? And I, I guess I need to be really, I need to clarify. So ASECT, which is the governing body for certified sex therapists, mm-hmm. has actually come out against the idea of sex addiction. Yep. They operate more from a compulsive, out-of-control yes. viewpoint. Yep. I mean, is, and that's all like brain stuff of how like, mm-hmm. you know, chemicals that are substances that you're addicted to react in your brain a certain way versus these behaviors that are pleasurable and obviously like people really like them and that creates a different kind of reaction so it's all like science mumbo jumbo basically saying don't copy and paste the addicts model with sex versus drugs yes which i think is important to clarify because 
that is kind of where we come from yeah. when talking about these things. However, I think that's still important that culturally we have some narratives. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't this. mean that certain like behaviors around it can't be problematic. It just mm-hmm. is asking us not to say. I mean, what that gets into, what I appreciate their clarification on that is getting out of the black and white and saying the only way to have you know, a healthy relationship with a substance is to not use it. Mm -hmm. You can't do that with things like sex. And I think even things like pornography, because we'll get into this, but it's kind of everywhere. So you can't be that black and white with things. So it allows us more individual attention to each person. Totally. We're all sexual beings, right? And, you know, listeners, if you go a few episodes back and when we talked to uh, Dr. Kyle, that was a huge thing that he brought up is that we are all sexual beings. And I think that sometimes this model can kind of take away from that, right? So, anywho get off that soapbox for a second to say like pornography is highly stigmatized within our society, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's kind of a big deal yet. It's also kind of everywhere. Yes. And it's so interesting. The dichotomy that we have created within our society around this. Mm -hmm. I was thinking as we were just briefly talking before this, I studied in, in Italy when I was in college and we took a trip to Pompeii and there are literal penises sculptures everywhere, everywhere. in like the, one of the oldest preserved cities of our, you know, human existence. There's penises on the wall. Like porn has existed since humans have existed. Like the desire to express sexuality in all of these different ways, in visible ways, in like artistic ways, in like you know, provocative ways, that's always been a thing. So we're fooling ourselves if we're thinking like, you know, there is some, there is some like human moral code that exists where we're not somehow doing this Yeah. in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's literally everywhere. Yeah. It has been everywhere forever. Mm-hmm. There's this idea, I think that people just generally are interested in seeing people naked or yep. the idea of other people naked or... Right in some sort of sexy situation. Right. And that makes sense. Yeah, right? it's great. Super great. Yeah. Super fantastic. And so then this gets to this idea of what is porn, mm-hmm. right? Um, I actually had a really great conversation the other day with a close friend of mine who is not a porn and sexuality nerd like I am. And like a little background on me, dear listeners, is I do the sex therapy thing now, but I spent five years working sex toy retail in an education-focused retail environment. And one of my jobs there was I was the porn buyer. So I did all, I bought all the porn for the store, not me personally, but like I, you know, would check things out and, you know, whatever kind of met the ethics of the store, I'd be like, all right, we can get like five of those and whatever, right? And people would come and buy them, but also DVDs are a dying media, but whatever, right? So What a fun inventory day. Actually, it was the least fun inventory day. (laughs) Because there's so many titles, it was always changing. (laughs) Yeah. Funny story is like, if you ever want to like not be interested in porn, get paid to watch porn because you're just like, uh. Or inventory it. (laughs) There's just so much of it. Or inventory it. Yeah. So I had this conversation with a dear friend of mine and I was talking, I offered this question, what is porn? Right. And we don't have a great definition specifically with like, I think when we 
conceptualize porn as a society, we think about like, you know, naked people doing naked things, right? Or naked people being naked or whatever, which like... Some kind of penetration of video. Maybe, right? Yeah. Like, and even then, it's, it's interesting because like 50, well, maybe more 60, 70 years ago when Playboy was first starting, right? right it was just topless women, right? Yeah. Which... I get a lot of people who don't include certain kinds of porn if it's not like a very close-up shot of like genitals penetrating genitals. Right. Everything else then is somehow not porn. And I think that's such an interesting concept that we're like, it's almost, it's the argument and I'm actually going to cite this real quick, but it's, it's the argument of, I know I've seen porn when I see it. Right, mm -hmm. which is legitimately what was argued in the Jacobellis versus Ohio State or Supreme Court State trial. In the trial, a video that had been created was labeled as obscene. The state was, you know, labeling it as obscene. And the argument was, well, how is that obscene? And the, the prosecutor is saying, well, we know it's obscene because it's obscene. It's like, right. that is the worst, the authority? legitimate worst argument <laughs> right. ever, right? And so this really starts to bring up the question of what is porn. I have the Merriam-Webster definition of porn. Oh. Thank you, internet. Uh, what which do Merriam is, and Webster have to say? Well, you know, back to hyphenated names there, <laughs> uh, callback. So pornography is defined as, quote, printed or visual material containing the explicit description or display of sexual organs or activity intended to stimulate erotic rather than aesthetic or emotional feelings. Huh. Interesting. That is interesting. Oh, man. Yeah, that makes me go into all kinds of like, well, growing up in a very Baptist home, I only had access to like medical texts from school. And so looking at those photos were maybe not intended for arousal, but they worked for arousal. Yep. Like you can get into all kinds of gray there. Oh, my goodness. I remember when in the sixth grade when we got our textbooks the first day yes. and that was the that was the year we had the beginning of our our very limited sex ed and it was like we looked at like oh my goodness there's a diagram of a penis oh my uh -huh. goodness there's a diagram of and we shared kind textbooks. of a vulva <laughs> so you could tell that that page had been like the corner had been folded more yeah. than any corner of any page had ever been folded it's kind of like <laughs> when I when I bought a copy as a child of as a child as like a 10-year-old, actually, about a copy of American Pie from Half Price Books, and it was the VHS, and the one, like, scene of nudity was, yes. like, so warped. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, ne neither of those things is porn, right? Like Per that definition. Per that right. definition, American Pie is a raunchy teen sex comedy, quote-unquote, right? Mm -hmm. It is entertainment, yet, you know... Clearly, someone had watched that scene so many times yes. that my video was almost wrecked because it was a secondhand, you know, VHS. That Are I you doing the thing books. where, like, a friend watched this video? No. So well, <laughs> no. I I also watched that scene quite a bit. Um, cool. It's a great scene. <laughs> hey, it is. Then it starts to bring up concepts of like, well, what about like fetish, right? Mm -hmm. What about kink where there is no nudity but it's still eliciting that erotic feeling. So I'm thinking of 
someone who maybe has a boot blacking fetish, right? Mm -hmm. If someone has a boot blacking fetish and they're watching like YouTube videos of people shining other people's boots, is that porn? Does YouTube know? (laughs) YouTube definitely knows. And so does general media Hollywood. But I mean, the the problem (laughs) we're getting into is that trying to define porn relies on a definition or a sort of like normal bell curve of people's definitions of arousal and sexuality. So yes. like this this judge person who decided, you know, this is obviously porn or this is obviously this was probably basing that on their own experience, which we all know when we try to like create norms based on our own experience. First of all, that's a terrible research strategy overall. Yeah. Super unethical, but also just like it's not going to work because exactly like if it's it's not that arousing for me to watch this one video, whereas like somebody behind me on the bus or something that could be incredibly exciting for them. So is it porn for them and not me? Is it meant to be porn? Was it created in that way? Mm -hmm. We will never define sexuality as like a normal curve. Totally. And to like, you know, harken back to my women's and gender studies minor in undergrad, the film series Misrepresentation really Mm -hmm. highlights how we utilize stimulating images in media that really objectifies women and now men as well when we're selling products. And if we look at the definition that the dictionary has defined porn as, like, you could argue that you know, a lot of our like Carl's Jr. ads, which we yep. don't have Carl's Jr. in Minnesota, but we definitely don't. But those ads where like, you know, there's a half naked woman eating a big sloppy burger and it's dripping all over her breasts, that could be porn. And like that actually might be someone's fetish and cool. <laughs> yeah. But that we when we get lost in these like half I have to find things there's a lot of ambiguity and when there's a lot of ambiguity there's a lot of uncertainty and I think that's where we what we see as therapists that's where yeah. people start to come into us defining maybe problems right yeah I mean it's generally scary for people when anything can be okay yeah right like it, whether it's politically culturally when it comes to like varying identities or somebody's particular kink or fetish or sexual desires or whatever, if we are sitting here, which we are courageously, I think, as sex therapists saying, we believe to an extent everything can be okay. Yeah. So then what happens is then, you know, the fear of people who are maybe not, you know, the people coming in and saying, I think my partner's addicted to porn. We peel that back even just a layer or two, and it's a problem of, you know, feeling insecure, feeling compared to the models in mm-hmm. the porn art, you know, and, and those are all things we can work with without having to say porn is bad. It's always bad. You have to change because porn is bad. Yes. Rather than saying porn is a thing and it exists and it can be used for good. And it can also, you know, in rare cases be something that's really compulsive and destroying somebody's life. That's not the problem. The problem is then, like, what is that bringing up for you? What are the yeah. things that are coming up for you about your insecurities or your mm-hmm. view of yourself as a sexual being or your partner as a sexual being or stuff I talked about last episode of just, like, are you afraid of losing them to this, like, image of what they think sex is supposed to be like or what your body is supposed to look like? Totally. And I think one of the big things to really highlight here and 
actually there's a few things in there that I want to highlight, but like first off, I want to be kind of hokey and just really name that like porn is media, right? Yep. Porn is fiction and it's a stigmatized fiction. Like our culture has stigmatized it, but it is still fiction. And because we don't always have the best sex ed, there's a lot of people who maybe try to learn about sexuality through porn. And I, yep. I just want to name as someone that works in this field that that's not the best. No, I think it was a another Dan Savage. I love him. I'm going to drop his quote where he said, like, learning to have sex by watching porn is like learning to drive by watching Gone in 60 Seconds. Yes. Like, <laughs> that is meant to be this really extreme thing. Totally. Yeah. Right? You know, like, the, the messaging I've learned in, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies from the 80s is that if I get shot, I can probably walk it off. But in reality, <laughs> I'll probably die. Yeah. <laughs> or be in a lot of pain at least, right? Yep. It's fiction, right? I'm not going to try to wear a ring and fly around like Green Lantern. That's right. not real. So I think just to name that, right? And, and fiction has a place. Like it totally. excites us and it takes us out of our realities and it allows our imagination. And certainly things can be influenced by fiction. I love mm -hmm. when people come in and they say, we saw this in porn. How does it work in real life? And yes. we get to break that down. How does it work when there isn't a cameraman right. getting right up in between people's junk? Yes. Right? And I'm like, well, your body's <laughs> going to make noises that they edited out. You're not going to have vulva makeup to cover every totally. ingrown hair and everything else that's down there. You won't be, like, generally, you're probably not right. prepping your meal plans exactly. for a week. But like, it's a lot of fun, and yeah, let's talk about totally, it. Totally, yeah. right? That this is an image that's catered towards you, that's created for you, right? right? And so this, you know, brings me back. I used to work in in the sex toy industry and the, the summer of Fifty Shades of Grey, right? There was so many people that were reading this book that was, you know, highlighting kinky experience, and it was very much not modeling what true kink, like healthy kink relationships right. should look like, right? Or even how sex toys work. There was a lot of dreams I had to break to people when they'd come into the store and be like, can I get, you know, this for this? And I'd be like, that's not how that actually works. Or how much money you should be spending on good quality. Like to make a red room like that, oh that's, goodness. I mean, he was a millionaire. But I'm still looking for really good articles about classism and kink because yes. <laughs> those things happen. Yeah, right? if you want to buy like... Ethical products, Ooh. yeah. But yeah, I mean, we can't learn from our from our erotic media what we should do in real life, right? right? It's just not the way to do it. Right. Another thing I want to really highlight is the porn conversation because this is a concept I bring up with a lot of my clients, Chris, and I was wondering if you if you have this conversation as well, but when people come in highlighting, like I have this, you know, problematic relationship with porn. One of the things I will cite is like, when did you all have a conversation about? Porn? Yeah. Oh, that's a hard, I mean, I, not only in client world, I find in my group of friends, you know, and I have a very, you know, sex positive group of friends and, you know, my closest people can hang in conversations like this, but especially as a female identifying person, if I go into a space and I say, oh, I watched this porn and it was great. There's this sort of like eyes wide open, like, oh my God, she's saying the thing oh that we all goodness. do, but she's actually saying that that's a thing or talking to partners about it or whatever. 
that conversation is real hard. Yes. It's real hard. And it again harkens my, you know, roots in working with purity culture and, you know, working through some of those narratives. Cause like we're not, we're somehow, it's somehow everywhere, but we're also not supposed to like it. No. Or, you know, talk about the fact that we enjoy it. Or it's even seen as this, like, if you can't get a relationship, then like this is now your option. It can mm-hmm. never be, I mean, I'm being facetious but like the message is it can never be incorporated into a healthy relationship because why would you want to have sex with a screen in your hand versus an actual in flush person so actually the conversation just once we actually say the word porn then turns into let's discuss that pornography and masturbation that sometimes is associated with it not always is an entirely different sexual function than sex with a partner yes they are not they can be influenced by each other they are not meant to be substitutes for each mm-hmm. other. And you can even bring in porn watching with a partner. Right. Right. And that that can be a really hot activity that people can do together. Yep. But so often in my office, I when I'm talking to people, the porn conversation is reactive. Yeah. Right. It's I was caught, you know, masturbating to porn yeah. and then we had a conversation about it. And not when we were courting each other and getting to know each other early in our relationship, we talked about how I like to watch porn. Yes, we had a show and tell day where we showed each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen. It happened for me, actually. I did have that conversation because I had to watch porn for work. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I had to have a very real conversation with with my like now (laughs) wife about, hey, just so you know, I have to – like, I'm watching porn for work. Right. How do you feel about that? But one of, like, my big pro tips for folks is, like, have that conversation. Yeah. Get to know your partner. And if you're married to someone that you've been married to for years or if you've been in a long-term relationship or, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. Have that conversation proactively. Right. Don't be reactive about it because when we're re- – like, this is something I have been using a lot last few weeks, but create – proactive boundaries instead of reactive rules. Yeah. Right? Well, Outline the field. We could bumper sticker that. Right? Calvin. Outline the field in which we play. Yeah. Instead of playing Calvin Ball, if you right. think remember back to Calvin and Hobbes, where you're playing a game where the rules are always changing. Yeah. Right? Outline your behavior and normalize it for your partner. Maybe their experience is not the same, but if you're able to have that conversation, you can kind of develop like hey, you know, I have some fears or... Name the awkward. It's the best thing to do. Totally. This is a real awkward conversation because we're not supposed to culturally have this conversation. We're going to do it anyway. And, like, know that, like, as you're having these conversations, that that can create new conversations too. Like, if you're someone who is straight identified and you like watching porn, like, of that involves people of the same sex having sex, Mm -hmm. like... You can bring that up to your partner and, like, they can name, like, oh, I'm having some, like, fears around you being gay. And you'd be like, nope. Oh, man. I, I mean, just how like this. many <laughs> stories have we heard of, you know, I I caught my partner watching, you know, supposed, quote, unquote, gay porn and what's going on with them? Are they gay? Does this mean they don't want to have sex with me? Yeah. You know, I had a good conversation with a friend one time who is not gay identified, is actually bi-identified and talks about how 
this person enjoys watching specifically male identified gay porn because of the intensity of the relationships oh my goodness. of the people that yes. that's really arousing to them. And, yeah. and it has nothing to do with these are the exact type of, you know, person that I would be attracted to versus like watching the passion in the moment and it mm-hmm. coming out in a certain different way with certain gendered bodies than others. And it's, you know, it just gets into, yeah, all of that. If you're not really woke to that idea of there can be lots of ways to be aroused and it doesn't have to mean anything about yes. what you actually do with your physical body. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So I just want to end on this last subject because we got to get going here but oh, we can talk about porn forever. i know right um is <laughs> come to our break room and talk about porn oh, please do <laughs> uh is the concept that we are now in the internet era and porn is just flying at us right yes. it is so easy to get lost in porn and this is something that comes up a lot in my in my office as well is people who lose a lot of time to just surfing porn sites mm-hmm. this to me is really bringing up things around ritual. Mm-hmm. As a therapist, one of my big things is I think ritual is really important. We need to honor ritual, create ritual. If you don't actively create ritual, something will inherently take up that space and right. reactively become That's a ritual. That's good for mental health overall. Yeah, yeah, totally. One of the things is people who just get lost in Pornhub or mm-hmm. Red Tube or the tube sites in general. Yep. And then have a lot of complicated feelings about like trafficking or exploitation of the people working in the porn. So there's a lot of conversations to have around that. One of the big things, though, that I really push for folks is pay for your porn. Right. Right. One of the best ways to make sure people aren't being exploited is to pay for your porn. Yeah. Make sure people are getting paid for their work. And in that, you have less option, right? Right. And and what I mean by that is like, instead of having this giant chasm of, you know, tube site stuff where you can get lost, if you pay for, you know, like specific sites, like I'm a big fan of the X Confession series Mm -hmm. and paying Erica Lust to create that stuff. She's awesome. By paying her to create those things, she is curating a specific palette of media that like I don't have to get lost like watching right like a few videos come out every so often I can check it out right if you're someone that needs more than just like you know twice a month a new video comes out that there's plenty of great like you know the crash pad series there's a really there's really great like sex positive porn makers out there but by paying for it you're having your porn curated for you. Yeah, absolutely. It whittles it down even just to a smaller pool of what you can ethically consume. Yes, and I think that that can be really, really helpful for for folks. So Definitely. And I would also say, you know, this might all change with net neutrality where we might all have to eventually pay anyway, but um, (laughs) (laughs) that aside... Our porn will be slowed down incredibly. I mean, that aside, there is also a nod to the idea of, like, not everyone can access paid-for porn. And with that, I usually tell people, you know, and some of it is, you know, maybe it's like somebody who's under or still living with their parents and doesn't want that to show up on the credit card Mm -hmm, bill or mm -hmm. whatever. I would say because of the way that social media exists, you know, I follow Stoya on Instagram and I love her. And, you know, if I know that, if I know that she is ethically and like wholeheartedly participating in her career, then if I see a free site where she's in it, 
I know that that's probably like totally. okay, right? And that it's I might not have to pay for it, but if I've done my research on on the performers, on the like companies that are producing yes. these free sites, some of them on the free sites are like clips of bigger ones that you'll have mm-hmm. to pay for. But even that, it's like if I know if I just do a f- quick Google search on who's who and who's pr- producing whatever, yeah. you can still you can still find them. It does take more searching, but you can still find those ethical producers and performers on the free sites. Totally. And I just want to like, you know, clap forever for that because I think it's super important to get to know who's making your porn, right? right? right. I'm someone who has met many porn performers and guess what? They're people. Yes, it turns out. Whole and entire people. They're very nice with feelings people and that, brains. And yes. they often wear clothes. Yes, they do. And they can engage in many conversations with you. And so know that these people are people. And social media is great for that, right? Twitter is fantastic for that. Following Nina Hartley is a treat and also not safe for work. But (laughs) our work or? Well, my work, it's fine. (laughs) Uh, fine. But that she she promotes so much like sex positivity and a lot of like human rights stuff as well as like, hey, I did this clip, right? So get to know your porn performers and like, proactively engage in this discourse and conversation with partners, with yourself, check in with yourself and keep doing the work and know that you can talk about these things in therapy too, right? Bring them into the office and have, we can have those conversations as well. Well, on that note, we have to close out our conversation. I feel like we can keep talking about this. Part A of Part A, yes. Oh my goodness. I'm actually putting together a a presentation on a lot of these ideas because there's so much here. So we're going to close out. Send us an email if you have a question. Our email is info at skyhealththerapy.com. Again, that's info at skyhilltherapy.com. Pleasure Principles is brought to you by Sky Hill Therapy in lovely Edina, Minnesota. We are a sex and relationship therapy clinic that caters towards individuals, couples, polycules, families, what have you. We are here for you to have sex positive conversations and be a place for whatever you might need. Until next time, my dear listeners, I bid you adieu. Thank you. Bye.